in Andre's exclusive Continental Restaurant, which caters to only the most discriminating clientele. How's the food, sweetheart? That's nice. Where's the stuff? The stuff is here now. Great new day sensation. Light and free now. Get you elevation. Enough is never enough. Enough is never enough of the stuff. The stuff. The taste that makes you hungry for more. The stuff. The taste that delivers. Enough is never enough. Hey everybody, welcome back to Uncanny Cinema. We are here again with a horror movie. We held off on horror for a good bit following Halloween, but uh, we've got one here we're going to look at, which is 1985's The Stuff. And I will talk about some of the key information on that movie here in a moment. But first, I will introduce our panel. We've got a returning guest who's been on numerous episodes we've done, including several horror films, and he is a big horror fan like myself. We have Tim. Yay, horror. And we also have another horror fan who is also a big bad movie fan. In fact, we used to go to something called Bad Movie Night that they had in Columbus, Ohio some years back. And uh, it would be kind of like a mystery science theater thing, and you would watch, uh, they they would kind of re-edit bad movies and bring in scenes from other things, and it was a pre- pretty fun time. It was in a theater, theater atmosphere with alcohol, and we used to do that, and then they closed that down. They stopped, I mean, I think they, they ended the run of it after like 10 years, but they did release them all during, or not all, they released a number of them during the pandemic for free. Mm-hmm. And uh, I worked through those and they're fun. You should check them out. Look up Bad Movie Night on Facebook and they have like a green logo. But uh, I am dovetailing into a completely different thing uh, going off the rails here. Uh, but so that person who is a big fan of bad movies and horror films is Emily, who is new to our show. Hello. Good to have you here, Emily. Thanks. All right, so we are going to be looking at The Stuff, which, like I said, is a 1985 horror film. It is horror, well, it's like a horror uh, sort of black comedy, I guess. You could think of it as kind of a riff on the blob that has more of a critique on commercialism. It also has some invasion of the body snatchers elements to it. The basic idea is that there is a weird white substance that comes from the ground and it uh, they, they discover that it tastes really good and so they decide to mass market it and so you see the stuff in these little tubs it's it's presented as sort of like an ice cream slash yogurt and they have this branding that goes along with it and you see billboards and you see it in commercials and you see it in uh, like store shelves and stuff all throughout the movie it runs all throughout. And what this stuff is, well, we can talk about what it actually is, is, which is kind of a big question mark. But at its core, it's sort of like the blob creature in that it is ends up attacking people and like consuming them from the inside and taking them over. There's a lot of kind of big question marks of like what its abilities are. and But anyway, so that's the basic idea. If you've seen the blob, you have the basic uh, concept of where this movie is going for the most part. 
It is written and directed by Larry Cohen. He is the creator of the It's Alive movies. He did Cue the Wing Winged Serpent, and he did the Atrocious Maniac Cop movies, which I only watched for the first time this Halloween, and they are real, real bad. But he did all those and uh, various other ones throughout his career, a lot of kind of B-movie stuff, cult stuff, and the stuff falls right in line with uh, a lot of the kind of stuff that he enjoyed doing. The movie itself was not a commercial success, but has become something of a cult favorite over the years. And it doesn't have a whole lot of really big people in it. It has a lot of character actors. Michael Moriarty plays a character named Mo Rutherford. Then uh, Andrea Markovici. I looked her up. She hasn't done a whole lot else, but she's the female lead. Garrett Morris from the early seasons of Silent Live shows up. Paul Sorvino, who is the lead gangster in Goodfellas, plays a colonel in this. And Danny Aiello, uh, who's probably most famously known from Do the Right Thing, is in a small part in this movie. So that is the basic overview of what's going on with the stuff. What do we make of the stuff? Well, I've... I like the stuff. Um, I kind of found out this movie like when I started getting into like bad movies like early in high school. And it happened to be I like saw it first and then I saw it in one of those five dollar bins at a Walmart. Yeah. And I bought it with Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Excellent. So I own it. <laughs> Is it on like a two pack with them? Like on the same disc or something? No, they're I they're two separate uh, in two separate cases. Gotcha. So, so ten dollars total. I spent ten dollars total between <laughs> the stuff and killer clowns from outer space. That is an investment. Oh yeah, a good one if I say so. Um, but no, I like this movie. I think for me, it's kind of it's since it's like one of the bad movies that I kind of saw at from the what got me interested in this kind of genre like it kind of maybe holds a special place for me so um i just think it's a lot of fun and kind of rewatching it like i thought to myself like oh this is like this is a little better than i remember like just in general like of like just effects and stuff like that so um i i mean i like it it's fun yeah it's I, I hadn't seen it before, but I, I knew of it. I knew the the poster that is, you know, famous and associated with it. Somehow I got into my head that this was a Cronenberg movie. I'd assume this was David Cronenberg for the longest time I don't, until, you said until that. I sat down and watched I don't, it. I don't understand. I mean, I guess you just had a mix-up, but, like, there's there's <laughs> nothing in here that's even vaguely Cronenberg. Well, like what the picture because the the picture for the poster is just like a dude's head and you got the white stuff coming out of his face yeah like his mouth and his eye so like there's a body horror element to that so i never i since i had never seen it i never questioned i will say i i would inception that cronenberg made it in my head i think i would enjoy this movie more if david cronenberg made this stuff i would be (laughs) so there for whatever he would bring to the table (laughs) This is, if ever there was a movie that I've seen that I desperately wanted to see a remake of, it's this. I, I agree. Let's Can we save that, though? I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm with you on it. 
But I think that'd sure. be good to talk about near the end. But like, yeah, like the movie as a whole, I mean, this kind of gets into it, but the movie as a whole, I think it's kind of a mess. Like it's not a good movie, but oh no, but there's <laughs> but it's really enjoyable because it has so many of the right building blocks there. There's mm-hmm. so much in the movie and in the premise that like, by all rights, this should have been a good movie, <laughs> but it's, it, it just felt like it was very incompetently handled in a lot of ways. And in some ways that actually kind of helped it for me. Cause one of the reasons I love horror as a genre is because there is such a thin line between horror and comedy a lot of times mm-hmm. and like being able to see what some people think is scary and how it might not be scary to you. Like bad horror is often still really entertaining cause it just becomes funny. And I think this, this movie had that problem where it didn't quite know how to maintain the horror uh, tone. And so it just veers off into just really ridiculous things that are just not helped by bad editing and directorial choices. So, I I mean, I'm I'm basically with you on that. I mean, I think we all are probably in a place where we enjoyed it is what we're saying. I mean, Emily, you have like a connection to it you know yeah. watching it and then tim like you enjoyed it for like kind of its goofy stuff and and i'm there with you I've, I've seen this a couple times in the past if i had to like break it down of what i actually fall on it I, I feel like i feel i'm always kind of disappointed by it because i feel that it could be so much better and it should yeah. be so much better but not even as like a great movie but even as like a like a fun movie like i think there's uh even like emily you brought up killer clowns like i think killer clowns for what it is they knew what they wanted to do and they oh, they yeah. executed the hell out of it. And like, is Killer oh, Clowns yeah. Citizen Kane? No, but it's not trying to be Citizen <laughs> Kane. It's trying to be Killer Clowns from Outer Space and they deliver. And the stuff, like, like I, they did. I think the stuff could be of that kind of level or you could make it not as goofy and black comedy-ish and make it like a straight horror movie and it could work in a, in a completely different way. But yeah, for me, um, I, I don't love it. I think there's interesting stuff to it. And what you're kind of talking about, Tim, of, well, there's a couple of things you brought up in there I wanted to address. One was it kind of being a mess. There might be some listeners out there who would greatly disagree with me on this, but like Larry Cohen, I've watched a number of his things and I feel like he's a guy who had some cool ideas, but was real bad at executing them. I haven't watched mm. the It's Alive I've only ever watched the first It's Alive, so I do need to watch the sequels at some point. I need to watch them all probably next Halloween. But I remember, like, the first one just not working very well. I watched all three Maniac Cop movies, and they are not good. Cue the Winged Serpent was, like, a cool idea, but I remember it just being kind of nothing. And then the stuff is probably his best idea, and I think it just doesn't get past the finish line. So, like... But it is such a good idea. You're right, right. That's it's that's what's like you said. It's like disappointing and frustrating because yeah. it should be better than it is. Well, I think that's like a. I feel like with my experience from watching a lot of bad movies, these writer directors, yeah, okay, maybe they have some good ideas, but they might not have the writing skills yeah. or the directorial skills to really mm-hmm. pull it together and make it actually competent, or not quite competent, but you know, better than what they're able to present. Or gel. A little bit more polished. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, the other thing that you brought up, Tim, that I thought was interesting, because you were saying that it like, I think you kind of were classifying as like, it, it kind of kept failing as like straight horror 
Is that sort of how you were? Yeah, in 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 different aspects. Like it was, and you like you kind of mentioned it's kind of like a black comedy, and like there are some there are some things where I could see how they meant for it to be creepier than it came across. Like, um, actually like, uh, Emily brought up something when the kid goes to the grocery store and is just Uh. knocking over all of the, the containers of stuff. And like, like when I watched that, like I just started chuckling because like, (laughs) and essentially what we're watching is a kid throw a temper tantrum in the store Mm. and it happened like I get what the idea is like he's watching the stuff like change his family because the beginning of the movie starts with this kid and he doesn't want to eat it because like he sees it move in the fridge or something at the very yeah. beginning of the movie mm-hmm. and but his parents and his older brother they're already like super into it you know that's you know it's it's all they're eating so then he goes to the store and is like just knocking everything over but it's within the first like five or six minutes of the movie so there isn't enough build like there the threat hasn't been established well enough there aren't the stakes haven't really been set enough so when you see that happen it's just it just came across as funny to me because it's just this kid going and knocking things over in a grocery store and no one knows why he's doing it and i mean obviously this is the 80s this is you know, not, you know, a big blockbuster movie. It's not the best child actor. So he's kind of given it his all, but it's also just kind of like, again, you're just watching a kid like pretend to throw a temper tantrum. And I found it funny. Well, so, so here's where uh, we might have some stuff to dig into. So you're coming to it like kind of expecting a horror film. I would argue, I think it would, I, I fell on the side of, I thought it, it needed to be either much funnier or to be much more just like a straight horror movie. And I think it exists in kind of this weird limbo, but uh, Cohen said, uh, so he, he felt that the movie was hurt by the fact that it was sold as a horror movie when he saw it as basically a satirical comedy. And he said, new world wanted a straight up horror film. And in retrospect, the stuff had more comedic aspects than it uh, to it than the executives were perhaps expecting they thought they're going to get a flat-out horror movie with a lot of gore and scares, and we made a film that was more satirical and had a lot of humor and commentary in it. And then he said some other stuff. So, like, he himself viewed it as he was making, like, a black comedy. I still don't think it's mm. necessarily, like, a success as that. I think no. it's, it's... I don't think a lot of the... I think there's weird comedy in it. There's weird, yeah. oh, weird yeah. jokes. There's stuff that's, like, kind of like a dumb person would think is clever. <laughs> Um, like yeah. everything Paul Sorvino does. Yeah, basically. Yeah, Paul Sorvino <laughs> plays this like really over the top colonel oh character. Like, and up to that point, there's like some humor in the movie, but his character is like a cartoon in comparison to like anyone else Ugh. in the movie. So yeah, it's like there's there's a, there's a handful of funny parts, but because uh, like I don't know the the thing you're laughing about, Tim. Like to me, that's not even like a moment that's trying to play for laughs compared to other times when there's characters like with, with knee slapper oh, jokes. I, I didn't, I didn't think they were trying to play it for yeah. laughs. I, I thought it was, I thought it was funny because in an unintentional gotcha. way, because again, I thought it, it was going more for more kind of like r- ratcheting up suspense and tension. Yeah. Like this kid's freaking out and yeah. it just fell flat. And to eat, to continue focusing on this beginning, if it's meant to be more of like a comedy satire thing and not horror, 
then like you shouldn't start with like the very first thing in the movie being oh here's this substance that's moving in the fridge scaring the kid like the the movie starts off in my opinion like it starts off setting you up for some kind of at least b horror yeah not you know not necessarily like a rosemary's baby type horror or anything like that but it's I, i felt like it was setting you up for some kind of like monster creature flick you know whatever when he sees the stuff moving in the fridge and then it just kind of meanders back and forth between all these different ideas i think there's a lot of odd juxtapositions in the movie between edits and cuts and stuff and you know i think you have these really goofy parts where you have all these one-liners coming from michael moriarty and then you cut to something like that where the kid is smashing a bunch of stuff or something more serious and it's yeah it it feels odd just to put them next to each other and like <laughs> we're going here and now we're going here and yeah it, it's definitely well, odd. I, I think it's a lot of it's just the comedy is just bad and doesn't work because when i'm thinking of other <laughs> horror comedies especially like 80s horror comedies because as you were talking about tim like you were saying it's set up, well, the stuff's a creature and it's going to be attacking people like a horror movie. But I was thinking as you're saying that, well, Evil Dead 2 has all kinds of horrific shit in it that is trying to scare you. But then there's also really goofy stuff and it walks mm. that balance really well. I mean, the first Evil Dead is played pretty straight, but Evil Dead 2, like they full on bring in a lot of comedy. Reanimator does that. There's a lot of, I mean, not it's not just the 80s, but the 80s did a lot. And there are movies that made it work where there you could have a scene where it's like, oh shit, those effects are great, or that's that's really weirding me out. And then the next scene, you know, there's actual funny lines and stuff. So I think that's part of it is if he had just stuck to straight horror, he might have been more successful. Uh, straight horror and the like commercial critique stuff, he might have been more mm-hmm. successful than trying to insert like zany comedy. In quotes, yeah. comedy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we will have uh, a good bit of things to critique about it, but let's talk about some of the stuff mm-hmm. that we enjoyed. I, I, I did like a lot of the, I mean, again, going back to like some of the more fun parts of the movie is just like a lot of the marketing and over the top stuff that they, in the jingle and all that i think it was the really jingle well was great i thought out the jingle. <laughs> all of that i think was really well thought out and i think maybe for obvious reasons if part of the whole reason he wanted to do this film is to critique you know consumerism and stuff so i think that part was done really well and the jingle made it fun and the commercials were just so goofy but i think that really you know helped establish how invasive the stuff is and the branding is really cool too they do uh yeah they have this like pink orange white and brown color scheme that that all works really well together like it it looks like a product that you would be sold and it has like fluffy lettering on it that says the stuff and you see it on billboards and like i said you see you see it all throughout the movie in different places and it they really sell it they make it look believable as a product and uh you know the actual like branding and everything and the commercials and so that aspect is super fun that was the one that was the one part of the movie that felt like it was lived in like 
it felt like such an organic extension of the world that we're seeing. Like so much of the rest of the movie, it's very kind of like flat, both in terms of <laughs> the attempts at comedy and character development and everything. But all the marketing stuff was like spot on. Oh yeah. And that and and that's the that's the big thing that I liked about the movie. Like the the general idea that he wanted to satirize is really like is it, it it's sharp and it's something that is like very relevant even now like oh, yeah. years after the fact yeah and and there's a there's there's a couple different things about that i want to get into i'll kind of save them because they're spread out throughout the movie but yeah the the it's it's take on consumerism especially for the time i thought was really kind of impressive and it's a shame that that didn't shine through in the other elements of the movie as well. Yeah. And it made me think too, about how that was kind of a running theme in a lot of speculative fiction in film in the eighties. I mean, obviously you have the eighties and Reaganomics and the baby boomers being the me generation and the, all hail powerful wall street and everything not that any of that's changed but you obviously had that <laughs> coming into full bloom in the 80s so pop culture would have these kind of parables pushing against it um i did want to throw out if if you uh, either of you could think of any um because there are a handful of others that basically if you wanted to do sort of like a little film festival of these kind of things of like 80s critiques on consumerism the stuff makes sense obviously and they live goes right along with oh, that yeah. and robocop is another huge one the the commercials in robocop play very similar to a lot of the commercials in this and those are the ones yeah. right off the top of my head but i wondered if either of you had any others that popped out i, I was thinking they live too like it made me think a lot about that movie I don't know a lot of the gremlin stuff. Yeah. At least yeah, gremlins, gremlins too, too went into you know? that heavy. Yeah, yeah, it really did. So, well, you saw, yeah, the gremlins too was where I was going to go. But like you saw, you were talking about the consumerism parables, and I think you saw that a lot in these kind of genre B movies because the blockbuster movies in the eighties were like full tilt the other direction, the like mm. distrust of government and you have to go it alone and capitalism and all of that. So you kind of had like two different segments of pop culture kind of running on parallel tracks mm. with, you know, movies like the stuff and like that, the not necessarily that they weren't all B movies, but like that kind of genre level kind of being anti-capitalism, anti-consumerism and the big budget blockbusters being much more, this is Reagan's America yeah. and Rambo, Rocky. Rambo, the A-team, Rocky, uh, yeah. Schwarzenegger stuff. Oh yeah. I mean, even, even stuff like Ghostbusters where like, the the EPA is the villain. <laughs> like, hey, that guy was a government prick. agencies. That guy was a jerk. <laughs> he was a prick, but he also wasn't wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, actually, that was something. It's been a we're going a, a little bit off here, but that's fine. We can talk some '80s trivia. Uh, but yeah, it's been kind of like a long time, kind of cracked article level uh, supposition that the Ghostbusters. It's a almost like a libertarian movie. And because it's all about forming a business and the prop. <laughs> well, oh, here's the thing. It's so the, the argument has been, it's, it's about forming a business and these guys are striking out on their own and they, uh, the, the EPA, which is the government is breathing down their necks 
and the like the mayor's office and everybody else like they they're all against them and i always thought like i uh, i don't know that that kind of seems like people are reading into stuff and that like yeah you could make those connections i don't think it was necessarily um intended so i read an article a couple years ago with uh, ivan reitman and uh he basically admitted like yeah i'm kind of a libertarian guy and uh and like i don't know if they asked him directly about like some of these things but i think they may have brought up that it's been like viewed in that way and i think he uh, essentially admitted like like yeah he like he has those leanings so that that was that was that's so on some level that's there anyway i don't think it ruins ghostbusters i think it's fine i think we can be with uh you know a team of guys who are striking out on their own but it's interesting that that's uh that's canon i guess <laughs> yeah i i <laughs> I don't dislike Ghostbusters by any stretch, but I mean, if we transplant that to real life and if the city you are living in, four people just had a nuclear reactor that they homebrewed <laughs> in the middle of the city, I think you'd be a little bit concerned. I think if you, took, side with the government. Think if you took any science fiction property and put reality <laughs> toward it of like, should Doc Brown have this time machine? I don't know. I don't know. I think he is he fully licensed and bonded by the state. We need to look into this. <laughs> I will say I will say I, I I trust Doc Brown more than I trust. Doc I, Brown. I agree with that. That's not <laughs> that's not uh, that's not a hard call. That's fair. All right, so back to the stuff. So we've talked some of the consumerism things that work. Uh, what else works for us? I think there's one big aspect we probably all agree on. Practical effects. Yes, the practical effects. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Upon rewatching it, like I forgot about the effects a little bit and then like watching it again like i was like oh my god like this is this is pretty good i was like i'm kind of surprised it's where most of the money went i think i think i I, that's what i was thinking it was like they had to have spent a good deal of their budget on this because it wouldn't look as good obviously yeah i would the i mean obviously you have like a bunch of of uh you know, money shots where like the stuff is coming out of people's mouths or even like the dog's mouth at mm-hmm. one point and you see it like moving away. But like the one that stuck with me the most was um, at one point uh, Rutherford and, and, and Chocolate Chip Charlie, um, who's the, I, I, I guess I'll ask this here too. Was he the, he was the old CEO of the company that is marketing the it's, stuff now? Was, Did I understand I that correctly? Here's <laughs> or, what I... Here's what I think. I think he's a cookie magnet. Like he's, he's supposed like, to be like famous. He's like Amos. a guy. Yeah, this like is, famous. This Amos. Is yeah, Morris's character. <laughs> and he's also a karate master. Yeah. Supposedly. His hands are lethal weapons. <laughs> but yeah, I wasn't like because he kept say he kept talking about. The, the company being stolen from him and that's why and like he ends up crossing it was real vague on that i think the idea oh, i think it was vague. something like the people who made the stuff forced him out which doesn't make a whole lot of sense because if he is famous amos and he's like world because they make a big deal like that he's like legit famous and like like the people yeah. know, other people know him, him. They yeah. know him by name like he has the chop chocolate chip charlie it's like like he's like a brand so like in reality i don't think they would force that guy out because they would you know they might reduce his role in the company but anyway uh he i think he gets forced out by the people who make the stuff somehow and then he's mad at them it's in the movie i think it was like his family who was on the board 
family members they like started eating the stuff and then they started talking to people who work okay. for the company that distributes the stuff mm. and were able and then you know obviously his family members become stuffies yeah. so that the stuff they're the no stuff, longer... since we haven't we haven't totally been clear on this point it is sort of this blob like creature they can divvy it up however they want and they put it in these little tubs and they sell it to people after eating just a little bit of it you start to become addicted to it and it starts to like basically like you, you it's if you've ever seen invasion of body snatchers people become it's almost like this hive mind kind of vibe and eventually we later yeah. find out mm -hmm. that the stuff is more or less just like possessing their bodies in total at some point it's, it's pretty vague on this but at some point it crosses over from they're alive and they're being taken over to like they are like a vessel that yeah puppets. a vessel full of stuff yeah there you go um so that's kind of what's going on so eventually yeah. people's minds uh minds are getting like altered and so like it's it's taking people over but back to what you were saying tim with chocolate chip charlie yeah, and the so, practical effects so Charlie, Chocolate Chip Charlie, who I'm sure the novelization gets into more detail on what his deal is. Chocolate Chip Charlie and Rutherford, they, they're they investigating this small town where all the like mail for the company is being forwarded or something. I'm not entirely clear on why they were there. Many things are not but entirely this, clear in this movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's this like lone guy manning a general shop and he ends up like going into the back room and the stuff like abandons him it escapes through his mouth and like crawls out the window and then they walk in they find the body and like his corpse is laying on the floor with his mouth just like pulled way open and it was like that was a really creepy well done effect like that was kind of like ring-esque um but like even like more yeah. so uh and like that was a that was really cool and like that was like a point in the movie where I kind of like snap back to attention where I'm like, Oh shit, that's awesome. Like that is, that is where the money went. As you said, well, you have that, you have chocolate chip, Charlie spoiler alert ends up being one of the stuff puppets. We'll call them. And he, they call stuff, them stuffies. Well, sure. But in our <laughs> podcast, we're talking about them being full of stuff. I think stuffies just denotes to people who eats the stuff, but uh, anyway, uh. Snuffets? Snuffets? Can sure. you call them snuffets? Okay. I don't think so. Emily says no, and I'm inclined to agree. So one of the stuff puppets, uh, he eventually like his whole there's a kind of famous image of his like whole head like kind of tearing yeah. apart, like his mouth opening and like so they, they definitely did some practical effects. Uh money went to that. They have a similar effect going uh with this dog that is attacking its owner. Mm -hmm. But then you've got all this uh all these practical effects with the stuff itself where they used yeah. I mean, we can like list off some of our favorite bits or whatever, but there's a lot of they'll do like some stop motion stuff, they'll do some points where they use like big foam, like big bunches of foam. I read something they used uh some kind of like it was like chopped up fish bones or something and like the people got like Ew. covered in it and was just smelled awful and had to like that had to like so wash gross. off immediately so they use a lot of different substances to convey the stuff at different points at periods it's like pouring out of whole buildings the one of my favorites is mm. they find like a kind of like a lake of it and it's like bubbling up and it's like forming into shapes like almost like tendrils and like vague like um 
bulbous and yeah it's like it, it's, it's it doesn't have eyes it doesn't have arms or legs or anything but yeah there's like parts that come up that make it seem more sentient more alive more animal yeah and so that's like a really cool effect um and there's a couple other big ones if you guys want to jump in with some of this i i really was impressed by it's the scene where you have our our hero our hero um (laughs) rutherford and the i don't know the woman's name do you remember her her name name? i think it is i think they stopped referring to her by name pretty early on in the movie uh yeah i I think i think her name her full name was hot stuff wasn't it uh no it's it's i I, I jotted down the uh the major characters it's uh i think it's nicole okay to be fair i uh I know Rutherford because like his names in in our notes so many times. I honestly would not have been able to remember any character's name except for Choc- Chocolate Chip Charlie. Well, well, uh, that's, that's Mo it. keeps saying his own name. Oh, that's name! Like, they call me Mo because I always want Mo, and he says it like four oh, times. Mo. <laughs> yeah, he does. I think I, I think my brain just went numb. Then I don't know. All right. <laughs> anyway, so the scene is it's Mo and Nicole. They get a hotel for the night when they get to Georgia to spy and stuff on the factory. And the the hotel room is already, like, rigged to kill them because there's, like, the stuff in the pillows. So it, like, oozes out and it gets onto his face. And then she, like... <laughs> this is pretty funny. She tries to burn it off. That was her initial thought was to pour some oil and burn it off. It, it worked. But then it, it worked because then after that, like, then you see, and this was kind of the cool part, I thought, of the effect was just a bunch of the stuff just kind of, like, pop out of the, like, the bed mattress, the mattress and stuff yeah. and go up onto the ceiling and it traps the guy in there and they light that on fire and stuff because, you know, they got to escape from the stuff yeah i thought that was really cool i I did wonder why because they they like fall asleep for a while and i was just curious like does the stuff have a timer like did it have to wait so long before it could all just come out and like envelop them i think it's a little sentient like to know like okay i think it's safe for me to attack these people because they they seem to be asleep and relaxed. Well, the uh, I mean, I'm giving it too much credit, but I did. The, uh, I did sit there thinking when he got when when it latched onto his face. My thought was like, oh, it's the face hug. Uh, was it's the face huggers Mexican non-union equivalent. Nice. <laughs> Always oh, appreciate no. a Simpsons reference, Tim. Um, so yeah, in that scene, they yeah they have stuff where it's they're trying to attack the couple the stuff is trying to attack the couple they're able to get away somebody else breaks into their hotel room i think to kill them or to or to make them eat stuff or something i don't know again script gets pretty vague at points but this guy comes in and even though i think he is a stuff puppet he does get ends up being totally consumed by the stuff and um, uh-huh. and they basically, I think they shot some of it in reverse based on the way some of the stuff is like moving. But they shot it. They shot it yeah. in the same room that they used for Nightmare on Elm Street. So if anyone remembers in Nightmare uh-huh. on Elm Street, it's been a while since I've seen it. But there's a pretty famous scene where um, they shot it in, I think it's Nancy's bedroom or Johnny Depp's bedroom. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember. 
but one of the characters is being attacked by Freddy and the room is like able to rotate. And so they're like moving up the walls in a way that's impossible and they're upside and they're upside oh. down. Um, you know, so on, on camera, it looks like they're hanging in midair, but actually they were like laying down and the camera's just like with them in the position that they're in. So apparently they use the same rotating room for this part in the stuff. So that was a neat little bit of horror trivia. Hmm. So other uh, other good effects that we dug. When it starts like pouring out through the factory and stuff, that was pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Like towards the end. I was very surprised that because at that point you have you've involved the army so you have all these people oh with guns and they're americans i was very surprised they didn't just open fire on the stuff tim like, it's not that's, that's the army question. it's basically I, I a militia know. are they the army or are they a militia i don't know what they are no because i think they said colonel spears was like discharged or okay something. i may have missed that Did part they? i he... maybe not discharged but i think it was hinted at that he was not liked and he was like operating on well, his he, own. He's, i i believe it because paul servino plays him as very off he has he owns oh, radio yeah. stations that's a that's a big plot point yeah. near the end um he somebody asks one of his men are you the army and it's like we're the only army you'll ever need there's some line like that. And Paul Sorvino yeah. is presented as essentially a 1980s QAnon supporter. Like he's just like this yeah. wigged out conspiracy guy, but they're all wearing fatigues and they all refer to him as Colonel. So yeah, I may have missed a part where they said he was no longer, but they're like just out in the middle of the forest. So yeah, I couldn't tell if they actually were a militia or if they were the army. Cause if they're the army, they went from like, <laughs> it was just, Mo finds these guys that he vaguely is aware of the colonel and convinces them to attack this sentient ooze. And they're like, cool, we're in. And there's no calls to Washington or anything. So it would make more sense if they're a militia, but it's not done particularly well. But yeah, in either event, I was very surprised that there wasn't just like a lot of people shooting at the stuff. They all seem pretty pretty calm all things considered uh yeah <laughs> but you know that's just how this movie rolls so in regards to the stuff my one of my questions after watching it a couple times is now what is it what is our head canon for the stuff and i had a, a few possibilities is it some unknown sentient creature that's just lived underground since forever is it an alien? Is it toxic waste come to life? What is it? Because the movie does not answer this. I mean, my take, my take was that it's essentially it's it's kind of like that. Um, I can't remember the the actual scientific name, but that like zombie fungus that will like uh, take over okay. ants and yeah, stuff like that. Mm. Because you know, it's it's taking over these people, and it's, it, it it seems at least the way the movie presents it, you know, it's taking over these companies. It's like propagating itself, trying to distribute itself throughout the population. But it also like, unlike other body snatcher type movies, because you brought up with the bed when the, the stuff comes out of the mattress, it ends up attacking someone else who was already a stuff puppet. So the movie, the, the way the movie presents it, it doesn't seem like, it can recognize which people have been infected and which haven't. 
So there's like some kind of sentience, but it also doesn't seem super intelligent, at least not in the same terms of similar types of these kind of movies. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I kind of started viewing it as some kind of like parasitic entity like that, where it has this drive. It no, it's, it's intelligent in that kind of bacterial sense where it's able to hijack other organic beings. But beyond that, it doesn't have much intelligence or drive. Mm. Yeah. Upon like before rewatching it again, like I thought it was something more alien, but then after watching it, it doesn't seem there's no indication whether or not it's alien at all. And so I kind of I kind of agree with you, Tim, that it must be some kind of I don't know, like parasitic substance it, that and exists. It's, it's originating from and they the say ground, it comes from because right. like, that's where they're pulling it from. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like the very the actually the very first scene of the movie before we even are introduced to the kid and his family, there's like this old dude who just sees this puddle of white stuff in the ground and then it just dips his finger in and eats it because that's a normal thing to yeah, do. Yeah, so that's... Oh my God. Uh, our friend Eric couldn't come on uh, this episode, but he's watched this before and we were talking about this the other day. That, for me, like, the very opening of the movie, every, every time I've watched it, oh, it's yeah. like... And this is literally the first scene. It just loses me from the get-go and they don't need to. So what you you have this old man character who's like a, a, like a railroad worker or something... And it's like there's several other guys who are there. It's, it's set at night and the, it's, there's snow on the ground and the stuff is bubbling out of the ground like it's basically like it's oil, essentially, but it's white. And, you know, but no matter what, it's some kind of foreign substance that's bubbling up out of the ground at this work site. And this old guy goes over to it, sticks his fingers in it, and literally, like the first thought he has is, <laughs> well, I'm going to taste it. And he tastes it. And then he says, oh, that's pretty good. Sweet. And then some other guy comes over and he's like, oh, you got to try this. And then they start deciding, well, we could sell this. And the whole thing is, it's, uh, I mean, I guess with uh, Cohen, like wanting to make a comedy, you could say he's trying to be like zany, but it's like, no fucking person would do that. Like no one in the world, especially these guys who work on some kind of construction site who probably are around hazardous chemicals and would know like, Hey, whatever this fucking is, I'm not going anywhere near it. And what frustrates the hell out of me on that bit is I feel it's Cohen like clearly needs to get from weird creature comes from the ground to they need to get it sold in stores for his script to work. But like, but that's not how you mm-hmm. do it. You need to do it where like the stuff like is in some lab and it like gets mixed in with food somehow. And they didn't, they didn't, the guy didn't realize that it was like, like you have a yogurt container and you have a different container and they get mixed up. Like there's so many ways to get right. you to someone eating this stuff accidentally to have this old dude just literally stick his fingers in the ground and be like, what's this? I mean, that, that, that would help explain why, COVID is still spreading as rampantly as it is. Hey, there you go. <laughs> and actually, like, I don't even think you would have needed something like that. Like, oh, this got mixed in with the yogurt or whatever. Like, just cut that scene entirely. Even if you don't fix all the other problems that this movie has, 
that part would have still made sense. Like you have, like, cause we see everyone buying it. And then we see the scene later on where they have those tankers where they're sucking. Yeah. You don't need to show the how they that's figured it out. Enough. Right. And, and, and my question about like what it is, isn't even, that's not even a critique. Cause I, I would say if the movie was working well, a big question mark on what the stuff is, is actually kind of fun. Like that's mm-hmm. kind of like, yeah. Oh, it's, it's left up to your imagination or whatever. That's fine. I, but yeah, but yeah, some of these other issues, it's just like, no, these aren't, these don't work. This isn't good writing. <laughs> so uh, we have talked a good bit on some of the positives. So let's, uh, let's dig into some of the negatives now. We are, we, we've, we've, uh, we've opened it up. We've opened up our tub of stuff and we are digging in. My big, and I know, I know you guys both have a lot of different things too, but like my I think one of my biggest gripes was the indifference the movie had to editing. Oh, like, yeah. even like oh, there's, there are script issues. There are characterizations issues. Um, there's, there's some sexism and everything in the movie, but some, yeah, some. <laughs> let's, yeah, let's, let's get to that. That's a whole other section we got to get to. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be a slightly generous with some, but like the, <laughs> just from a just from a technical standpoint the editing like it, even with all those other script problems and and storytelling like you could still have a competently made movie that might gloss over some of that but the editing it, it like I don't know if they just forgot to shoot certain scenes and yeah. were trying to like glass like the big one that stuck out for me was Mo Rutherford goes to that one dude's house with the dog. And I cannot for the life of me remember why he went to see that man. That guy was uh, like a member of the FDA who was one of F- the people. Okay. What yes. the, the FDA passed the stuff. Mo Rutherford, who we've alluded to, is Michael Moriarty. And at, my note on him was that he is an industrial sp- spy brought in by Big Ice Cream. Yes. Uh, Big Ice Cream wants to take down the stuff. Because it is cutting in on their business, they bring in industrial spy Michael Moriarty to find out information on the stuff, where it comes from, how ice cream can like take them down, whatever. And so, and he's one- ex FBI. So actually, if the, if the Colonel guy is ex military, you have a lot of uh, ex government people in the mix in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yes, who are the heroes? Which I don't know what that says. I think it's just that <laughs> communism was just a red herring, but. Um, but yeah, so he, he start he's investigating that the kind of main thread is that he's investigating information. And one thing he finds is that the FDA passed, uh, allowed the stuff to be put out, but then all these people like who were associated with the stuff or with the FDA either just like completely disappeared or retired. And so mm, he tracks okay. down Danny Aiello, who was one of the FDA people, and he is like now retired or in some other role. So that's who he is, and that's why he goes to his house. Gotcha. Okay. So he goes to that guy's house, and he has a dog, and the dog is like growling. The the dude is clearly afraid of his own dog. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see Mo like walks in the one room. There's a bunch of stuff containers, and we eventually we find out that the dog has been taken over by the stuff. So it's cross species infection. Um, that's always great. But then the so Mo leaves, and then we cut back, and there's a scene where the dog attacks and kills mm-hmm. FDA man. But the way that scene is presented, so the camera cuts back. The dog is in the basement and we see it running up the stairs. 
the camera cuts. The FDA man is already on the ground, just kind of like crawling. And then we see the dog run in from the other room and start attacking him. The fuck are you on the floor for? Like, what? Like, something was missing. Something oh, was yeah. missing in that scene, and they just didn't bother to, to like, reshoot it or plan for it or whatever. So instead, you have, like, a cross between one of those, like, life alert, help I can't get up, I fall and I can't get up commercials, and then yeah. creepy creepy dog killing you like it was it was just bizarre and just real bad filming oh the the editing in this is probably among the worst i've seen considering like that other parts of the movie work as well as they do like the special effects are so good Mm. i would imagine the special effects people were probably fairly pissed at the editor whoever edited it (laughs) Um, because they they kind of ruined some of the sequences. The I, I actually didn't catch the dog thing just because I don't know I was probably just checked out and wasn't giving a shit at that point. But there is a a really important part I feel that they really botched. So the Mo character is trying to track down what's going on with the stuff, and nobody knows anything. Nobody knows that the stuff is alive or taking people over. You have this little boy who's sort of figuring it out. Apparently, he's the only person in America who's been able to see the stuff move around, but <laughs> smartest character in the cast. Um, so nobody knows what's going on uh, with the stuff in the United States. The ice cream people want to get rid of it. They want to find any dirt they can on the people who are making it and anything that they can to uncover anything to like bring the stuff down as Moriarty uh, as Mo is digging into stuff. It clearly seems like, there's some shady dealings going on. It clearly seems like something weird is going on, but he has no reason to believe that the stuff is alive. He has no reason to believe that it's an alien creature and that it's taking over bodies. Like, like none of that. But they go, Tim mentioned earlier, they're at this like gas station, he and Chocolate Chip Charlie. And they're talking to this guy who's like acting kind of weird and stuff. The guy locks himself in his like back room at one point and then the, that's that scene where Tim was saying the stuff comes out of his mouth and it's his head's all distorted. But the stuff like like slips away and goes out a window. Mm-hmm. So it's gone. They break oh, they break in the door. They find this dead guy there. The stuff is not in his mouth, but there's like like almost like a yellowy thing moving around. But it, it's it's not clearly like they don't see the stuff coming out of him. They don't see the stuff being alive. It's already happened. And the editing is so bad at that point, because this should be the moment where for the first time, Mo sees this is a creature. This is a monster. That's going to like, it should be attacking him. And then he would realize, Oh God, this is what we're dealing with. They don't witness it. He goes to the window. Uh, Cause the stuff went out the window and he, he says, if that thing tries to kill me, you kill uh, you kill me first. And they shouldn't know. We, the audience, know the stuff is alive, but they shouldn't. There's no reason for them to know that. Yeah. And so it's a real, like, it's a, it should be your key moment. It should be the moment when our main character is aware that this monster exists. And it just, none of it makes sense on the editing. It's like... I don't know if they didn't shoot something they were supposed to, or they didn't get the coverage. It's so weird. Well, you don't, I mean, even with the footage that they had, you just need to splice it a little bit differently. Like you, 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 you have them 
like we see the stuff come out of his mouth and then before we see it go out the window you that's where you stick in the scene where they break down the door so that the at least the implication is oh they see the stuff go out the window then at least yeah then at least there's enough there where maybe they still know they're still making they're still taking maybe one too many leaps with what they've seen but it's it's more coherent. i think if they broke in before the stuff came out of the guy's mouth they broke in and then they see it come out of his mouth and escape then okay you're fine it doesn't actually have to attack them it'd be more exciting if it attacked them but it would at least be mm. clear of like oh that's that's not normal that's some kind of monster but yeah like the editing it's already happened and then weirdly after that he's like back to acting casual like nothing is wrong uh in some following scenes so yeah editing's real bad so i know emily had um a lot of thoughts about how obvious it was the script was written by a man oh (laughs) yeah sure we can talk about that which i agree (laughs) so i mean there's a lot of okay there's a lot there's a quite a few moments where as I'm watching it I'm like oh that's it's pretty clear that this is written and directed by a man just because of certain choices made and like uh you know so um and and to be honest like when you watch these like any horror movie from the 80s I mean it's it's going to have some of these tropes in it and things like that so um <laughs> So, like we kind of mentioned earlier, like they kind of stopped calling the woman by her name at all, and they just kept referring to her by her looks. Um, Colonel Spears got real creepy about it towards the end with her. Like he said, "You can thank me properly later." And doesn't he like, <laughs> doesn't he like, like oh, no. have his arm around her? Like this is a person that he doesn't. Yeah, he, no. they don't know each other at all. Also, he has an army. He's got guns. That's a pretty, pretty direct proposition. Oh, yeah. Well, so he says that. And then <laughs> Mo says something about like, oh, well, that that's my girl there, Colonel. And then like the Colonel says, like, well, we've got a mission underway. You might uh, you might not make it out, son, or something like he basically like threatens like it's so right. bad. you're going to die. So and then I'll, I'll take your woman is how it's played. Yeah. Yeah. Um well and another thing you know i don't know if it's just a me thing like as a as a woman or something but i've noticed that most of the women in the movie with the exception of the mom were not wearing bras at all through the entire yeah you put that in the notes i didn't pick up on it actually but uh i i i will will trust your judgment on this yeah i I wasn't i don't i don't i I wasn't uh looking so I just so assume that everyone has bras because I'm a dude. <laughs> the female lead never wore a bra, okay. period. <laughs> and so, but the mom, I'm guessing she did just by how she looked. But that makes sense because when you're thinking about a mom, like you don't want to think, oh, she's a sexy mom. Like, <laughs> let's make sure we can see your nipples, like kind of thing. So, but then when there's women in the commercials, they're either wearing bathing suits or they're not wearing bras at all. Like, it was pretty evident, like, to me, like, okay, I, they're just trying to really sell sex appeal, whatever. But that's something that I noticed about the movie. 
as well. well there's a little little thing at the end uh, after the credits. There's another little mini commercial that has an mm. actress and she's in a bathtub. Uh, I mean, you can't see anything, but uh, she just said oh, like, yeah. I don't know, it's like five or 10 seconds where she says like, can't get enough of the stuff or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the mom's role too is just, well, I think both the parents are very classic eighties parents, but the mom in particular, I think was written in a way like very, very traditional, very, she's taking care of things and doing all the all the housework and dad just sits and watches tv and stuff so and if it, if it was just that you could argue that that's part of the satire but sure but it it wasn't just that it, oh no well and i like to like because you mentioned it how like she was really impressed that the stuff didn't stain the wood when it got like knocked over yeah that was a really bizarre line like when he when the the little boy knocked the stuff and it went onto like the cabinetry in the kitchen she's like oh i hope this comes out i hope this doesn't spot and i was like bitch who what are you talking about have you never cleaned up yogurt before like it doesn't stain wood i've never seen yogurt stain wood (laughs) It's like this man has he never cleaned anything in his life? <laughs> well, not only that, like you have two boys, like you have two sons, right? Are they? They never made a mess before. Like at that point, at that point, it, when you're raising kids, like you're a pro with that kind of stuff because kids are messy, like <laughs> right. So one other bit uh, I forgot to mention we were talking about editing, something that might have played a role in why things are so disjointed and weird and i i mean i don't think it explains everything because even though what i'll what i'm about to say happened a good editor would not have produced what we saw but they took like 30 minutes of the movie out because so the movie we watched was around an hour and a half i think so yeah. it would have been like closer to two hours so i think uh and i think that stuff was probably like more satirical stuff i know there was like a like a love scene between mo and the lady i think in the hotel i read um i think that was a good cut cut. i think that's a good cut. (laughs) so they they cut some stuff out and that might have created some problems in the editing but i don't think everything that we've talked about i think you could have still found better ways to do it but i did uh see that apparently they had some scenes of like and this is all it said, so I don't know exactly what this means, but they cut out portions where you saw baby stuff. I don't know if that means like a child, like stuff as a child. I mean, it's all in different globs, so I don't know what baby stuff is. Yeah. And you also saw walking stuff, which that sounds cool and weird. And how did you, why would you cut that? That's, that's like, I want to see, because <laughs> apparently they did like stop motion animation. Maybe it was like a baby that was overtaken by the stuff. I don't know. But if you're going to cut stuff, don't cut the monster. <laughs> don't take out more of the monster. Yeah, I can think of a lot of other things that could have been cut instead. Like, like most yeah. of the kernel. Yeah, exactly. That was exactly what I was thinking. So here's a, here's a, a, a maybe a dumb question, but I, I legit have forgotten how they stopped the stuff. Uh, well... <laughs> They, good question. So near the end of the film, they, uh, well, so they get to this 
big open pit which has been excavated mm-hmm. and the stuff is like bubbling up from under the ground yeah i, yeah. I remember so, that and like there's the scene with the tanker yeah. and everything so there's this is another bit this wasn't in the editing this was just in the flat out writing that i thought was really bad so mo decides he needs to steal a tanker he says the only way i can prove that uh prove that the stuff comes from the ground and that the, but basically they find out that the stuff is not processed it's not any kind of dairy treat or whatever it's just literally some kind of sludge that comes from the ground they put in these tankers and they're putting and feeding people right um, although they don't really know that they don't know that it's not being processed, but they make that leap that it's not and like, okay. And he says, the only way I can prove that is to steal one of those trucks. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, that doesn't prove anything. They could just be transporting the stuff and you just show up with it. That doesn't prove anything. You know what proves something? A picture, a bunch of pictures of the stuff bubbling up from underground <laughs> and them like, <laughs> funneling it into trucks it was so weird because they don't even address like we should have picture evidence of this stuff they just say oh no i'm gonna steal this tanker which will do all fuck all okay so that's how they got from point a to point b in terms of the end because i remember them going to the big wings with the stuff at the end but i couldn't remember how they got from the tankers yeah, to that but that's scene. but that's not so, so the implication is he takes the tanker to the government and no no they don't make it tim did you watch the movie (laughs) were you watching clips on you like i i i watched it and i don't remember i don't remember what led to the final scene so i was i was getting to like how how they resolve the stuff so yeah he steals the tanker and then problems arise and so his evidence which as i was saying isn't really evidence at all of anything he wouldn't have helped him it uh he's not able to do that what they do is that's when they get the colonel and that's when the colonel has the airwaves and they are able to put out a message oh, on the right. airwaves warning everyone that the stuff is alive, yes. that it's taking people over. They broadcast it and then they have this really heavy handed moment right. where Nicole, Nicole mm-hmm. is like this uh, kind of like ad executive. She, um, she like yeah. created the packaging and branding of the stuff and she ends up being the, She's the female lead throughout all of this, and she's, you know, uh, she regrets everything that's going on. So she ends up telling a TV, like, TV audience kind of the story of this. This is kind of how it's wrapping up. And she says, oh, well, you, so you see, well, you see, like, images of stuff billboards being set on fire and trucks being overturned yeah. and, and stuff being destroyed. And she yeah, says, okay. and the people did believe in this like super right. just spoon feedy kind of way, if I may make a pun there, but <laughs> see that this is why I forgot because it's right. Stupid. And but what struck me <laughs> the, the note I had was that if COVID has taught us nothing else, it is that if we told everyone don't eat the stuff because it will kill you and turn you into a zombie monster. People would just go out and buy it by the bucketful. Like they wouldn't stop My anybody. Freedoms. And the interesting thing too is she said like earlier in the movie, like when she was talking to Mo about like her job and stuff before I think they went to the factory, she was just saying, she says this, it's easier to believe lies than the truth when she was talking about her marketing campaign and stuff. And I was like, this is still true today. I mean, even more so now because of all this stuff that's happening 
So yeah, for the ending to be the way it was was just kind of wacky. Like they do undercut it. They do just... undercut it a little bit because they have like essentially humanity having an uprising against the stuff. But then you, the final shot is you see there's like a black market now where, well, you, there's two things. There's one is the people who created the stuff are now trying to create the taste, which is like a watered down version of the stuff that will still be um, addictive, but won't take you over supposedly. So you have that kind of critique on consumerism and then you have the black which yeah, I like. I appreciate that. And then you have this black market aspect at the end where like people are buying the stuff out of a out of people's trucks and you know still consuming it. So there is like some commentary going on, but yeah, the movie acts like, oh, we just told everyone this crazy colonel guy who has a radio station, we just told everyone the stuff's mm-hmm. alive. They haven't noticed for the last six months, but they just believed us, I guess. It's like saying Alex Jones is telling the truth. I mean, that's kind of what I see this as. Like, this crazy colonel comes on the radio and says all this crazy shit. It's like, oh, this can't be real. Well, I I, I want to talk about the taste stuff because I really like that uh, for a lot of reasons. But, yeah, like, because now I remember this. It's very dumb. But, like, I can, like, if this were a better movie, like, I could see how her saying... Like, I, I feel like what the intention was is she's saying it's easier to believe lies than the truth at the beginning. And then we see this journey, and then at the end, she realizes that the truth is more important, more powerful, so it's this change of heart for the character. That doesn't occur at all in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, it's basically just two arbitrary bookends to a character who essentially exists for everyone else to oogle at throughout the rest of the movie and say derogatory things to. Um, so it just like, I can see what they were maybe thinking, but they way failed at, at doing anything with that. Yeah. I think it's basically that Cohen, you know, had some stuff to say about consumerism. Like he had some, some thoughts on it. He had his view of it. He's just not all that good. <laughs> like that's, yeah. I mean, like he's not as a writer, um, I mean, I don't think he's an amazing director either, but uh, but the writing is 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 pretty rough. Uh, whoever whoever's running the yeah. effects, put them in charge. Let them them run <laughs> the movie. <laughs> but when we get to the end and we find out that they're repackaging it as the taste, like there there were a couple things about that. Like I really like that scene, and I really like that as an ending for the movie because yeah. like the whole concept of like oh we're gonna it's the taste now and we've changed a little bit. So it's better. Like, like let's, and let's even say that they're being truthful, that this isn't going to take people over, possess people like it was anymore. And it's just going to be this really addictive thing. Like, even if that is the case, like that's still a really good piece of commentary. Cause we mm-hmm. see that that's a great stand in for everything from iPhones to pharmaceuticals. Like that is a huge aspect of consumerism where, Hey, here's this thing that you already like and may already have. Here's a slightly different version of it. So we can make you buy it all over again. Well, you yeah. and you liked the the really cynical uh, ad ex- or executives too, right, Tim? You had a note on uh, related to yeah. kind of a, a real life version. Yeah, because because part of that scene too, like the other thing I really liked is 
because the the comeuppance they get is the kid brings like a whole bunch of the stuff like a whole bunch of stuff containers and mo and this kid essentially force the executives to eat it uh which is funny kind of in its own right but like you can tell like they don't want to eat it and there are like lines and just their face looks they'd already said that they're leading up to that point Right. They don't let, they will not eat it. They look down on it. And that, like, I don't know how intentional it was, but that is so perfect for how a lot of CEOs and stuff in our world exists. Cause I remember a couple of years ago, there was a really good um, New York times magazine article. I think it was the New York times magazine. They had a really interesting article and also kind of horrifying article about the science of like, uh, snack food and like all the different, this. all the different stuff, like how much all the stuff is the stuff in snack food. All Tim? the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Did we not listen? Like it was, <laughs> it was incredible. Just like all the work that goes and like the legitimate science that goes into finding mm. the like perfect balance of like the texture and the right amount of flavor dust on Doritos and Cheetos to make you like, like, no, like seriously, like, cause the, no, I remember reading this, like they need, they, they need it to be addictive so that you keep eating it, but only to a certain point, because if it's too addictive, you eat so much, you get sick of it and will stop buying it. So mm-hmm. there's like there's all this effort that goes into it, and the thing that stuck out for me is they interviewed this the is all CEO making me of think Kraft. of Simple Ricks from Rick and Morty. Is <laughs> <laughs> that pure <laughs> flavor of Simple Ricks that goes into every single cookie? They end up they, uh, there's a part where they're talking uh, to the CEO of Kraft, um, and like in the as they're talking about him and talking with him, like he he basically says he just hands down refused to let his kids eat lunchables he would not let them eat it because he knew how much ungodly amounts of sodium goes into that shit and how bad it is for you so all these people that sell this stuff to us like they know not to let their family touch it but they're willing to sell was there pushback in that in the article or does he just say it and they just like report it and move on i i feel like he just said it like it was just part of him talking to them interesting so it wasn't like a gotcha thing where there was like, oh, he should see something. Like, nope, that's just what it is. He just would not let his kids yeah. eat Lunchables. And so that that rang true for me when, like, the, their reaction to the stuff and how they wouldn't eat it. They didn't want to yeah. touch the stuff. But sure, they'll peddle it to the rest of us. Um, on kind of a related note in relation to food, Emily, you had an interesting point about, like, this being one of probably uh, only maybe a handful of, like, food-based horror movies. Oh yeah, I did. I did mention that. You put it out um, there, and I, I, to be honest, I couldn't think of a whole lot to go with it because you were saying how it kind of stood out on that point. Yeah, so like, not that that's like a niche genre that people really flock to, but, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, like the your your enemy here is a food mm-hmm. product, and there's really not too many movies. I mentioned Troll too. Now that's not like. They want you to eat the food in Troll 2 to fatten you up, but that's not the evil part of it. But, you know, I really couldn't think of any other movies that your villain is like an inhuman product of something, you know, that you consume. And that kind of makes it a little unique, even though it's not incredibly well done. But The only other one I can think of is... um 
gingerbread man with Gary Busey. Sure, that uh, that is a killer piece of gingerbread. Although I don't know that they have him have you eat him. He's just alive and murdering you like Chucky or something. Yeah, that's. But funny. yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there are any other. I mean, there there's a good number of movies where there's like that kind of body possession, invasion of the body snatchers type thing, where some something is yeah. making you turn. And so the stuff obviously is food based, but you have something like the thing is an alien creature, and it just basically tears you apart mm. and reconfigures your whole body. But it's not it's not food based. And then you have Invasion of the Body Snatchers, they're spores, and they create a you know, pod, and that grows a whole new version of you, and then they just kill the old version. Yeah. So yeah, most of them operate in a very different way. Um, there might be some out there that have something where you have to consume some kind of food or drink. But yeah, I think you're right. Other than Troll 2, which has it as an aspect... Um, for the most part, this, this kind of seems to stand on its own. There is the, um, there's an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer with the alcohol where it's like tainted or like cursed or something. I don't remember exactly, but what everyone who drinks the, the beer turns into like a caveman. Oh, I remember that episode. Yeah. So there's that. Caitlin's going to be really disappointed in me that I don't remember all the details of that episode. (laughs) So any other stuff that strikes us as odd? I, I had one more I'll throw out there and then anything else that uh, we want to put out. My thing was, I thought that Michael Moriarty just kind of sucks. Um, he's our lead. I, I mean, I've seen him in maybe a handful of things. I don't know that I've ever been impressed with a dude, but he's not really funny. He's not really cool. At points, they try to make him like a tough guy, like he punches a couple people and he does not look like he could take yeah. out anybody and he just seems to be sleepwalking through the whole movie um i mean the 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 best thing they have for him is like they initially present him as like this southerner who is playing on people thinking he's stupid and then he's like he's not and it's kind of like an interesting introduction of like all right this guy might be kind of crafty but then the rest of the movie does nothing with that and he's just he's just so bland like Putting somebody else in there wouldn't have fixed this movie, but I don't think he helps the movie. He came across to me as a really lame Dave Foley. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like, and, and I know this, like, the timing doesn't work, but it, it, it seemed like someone I was like, oh, like, yo, let's get Dave Foley. Oh, we can't afford him. Here's a cheap knockoff version. <laughs> Here's a non union yes. Mexican equivalent. <laughs> I I I agree I, with both of your points. I did laugh at some of his one-liners, but that's just because it was just so bad. It was so ridiculous. Like at the very beginning, when he's like meeting all the ice cream execs, he's like, "Oh, that's a sweaty palm, sweaty palm, sweaty palm." And I'm like, "Who says that to people?" So like, is he trying to intimidate them? Because I don't think he is in any way, but. Okay, let's run with it. <laughs> did you... I wanted to ask you this, Lynn. Did you... I didn't look this up, but maybe you did. The brothers, are they actual brothers? Because they look so alike. They have to be. I did not check that. I believe they were clones. Oh. Yeah. Yeah? <laughs> 
because I mean they have dark hair and then light eyes and like very similar facial structures and I'm like they have to be siblings in real life because there's no way you get two actors that look that close in appearance uh what was the kid's name Jason yeah so what's different or, or what's different or they may have spent all of their pre-production time trying to find an exact oh. match for actors and then they ran out of time to write the script i uh i think you're dead on there emily um they have jason listed as scott oh, yeah. scott bloom and jason's brother he does not get a name just jason's brother <laughs> is brian bloom so i assume they're brothers could be cousins i don't care enough to dig in no. and find out but no, uh, I, that's it's... probably good enough evidence they probably cast two brothers for that Two it's just brothers. called Two Brothers. Just <laughs> two brothers. On, a, on another casting note, I saw that uh, Cohen apparently wanted Arsenio Hall as Chocolate Chip Charlie. Um, <laughs> I think this is before Arsenio Hall had his show, I'm pretty sure. Oh. Um, and he said, because uh, he thought he was a good actor, um, not only a good actor, but a rising star, but the executives didn't want him. They wanted somebody more recognizable. So they got Garrett Morris. And my comment to myself was, this is perhaps the only time Garrett Morris has been considered more recognizable than someone else. Because <laughs> Garrett Morris has been in what, like four movies since Saturday Night Live? Maybe. Not much. There was something that I noticed in the background. Um when there was that mass suicide essentially in the factory of the workers mm -hmm. you know and they're all like laying down they have there's one guy in the back who's laying down and he is whipping his tongue around for no reason <laughs> like you can you, like Java the, the hut style being strangled yeah just like whipping around like <laughs> And I'm like, what is he doing? Like, you're you're supposed to be dead. Like, you're supposed to not be alive looking. And he's whipping his tongue around. I was like, what was his direction? Who is this guy? It's like when Frank Reynolds was trying to eat, like, sausage links. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, one thing that we held off on, I uh, I pulled Tim back on a remake of this film. So Ooh. let's discuss that a little bit before we wrap up, because this is one that I've watched it. This is probably the third time I've seen it. I think I watched it a couple years ago to reassess and see like, oh, is it any better than I thought? No. Um, and I watched it, you know, years ago. But that's the thing. Like, it does kind of bring me back wanting more just in there are really cool ideas in it there are the anti-consumerism stuff is a good angle the practical effects are super fun the kind of mystery that they build with the stuff works pretty well you could construct a really good horror movie like straight horror off of this or you could construct a very fun goofy kind of horror movie off of this i want someone to do that please tim what do you have on it Wait, you, I, I was going to say, you don't even necessarily need to pick, like, throw Jordan Peele at this. See, I, I, have, I have a who, different name in mind, but yeah, go ahead. I'm, I'm, I, I mean, there are probably other people who could do it too, but since we're talking about, since we've talked about, like, how it needs to be either more straight horror or more, like, black comedy, like, Jordan Peele is someone who has, like, showed, like, he can make very effective good horror, but still 
pepper yeah. it with legitimately funny bits and not have it ruin the tone. Well, and he would he would hit that social commentary super well too. Yeah, I feel there are so many great. Like, there's a great foundation here, and if you put someone who actually had like filmmaking skill, like get get some like actual writers to to tighten up the script and everything. Like there is a very good movie that could be made out of the building blocks that this premise provides. And it's just like, it's one of those things where I'm actually kind of surprised, like, especially in our current culture where there are a lot of reboots and remakes and, you know, studios are looking to pick over unloved uh properties and stuff and try to breathe new life into them Mm. especially as you have a lot of like filmmake established filmmakers now who would have grown up on the b movies and stuff from the 80s like i'm i'm kind of surprised that something like this hasn't already been pitched somewhere well i don't know because it it wasn't financially successful and i mean it it has developed a cult following but i said at the top that it, it didn't really make money and I've thought for a long time that movies that weren't successful, not just financially, but like commercial or uh, critically, like things that just didn't work, that might've been a cool idea, but just ultimately were not like a great end product. That's what you should be remaking. You should be remaking movies that had like a cool idea and just didn't do it right. But most Mm -hmm. of the time they remake movies that did it flawlessly the first time they'll remake, you know, amazing classics um again and again and it's, it's always going to be just it's, it's never going to work diminishing returns. diminishing returns but also but not even that because like diminishing returns implies that you know it'll it'll eventually taper off in most cases it's like the first one was huge for a reason at best you're just going to hit the same beats and everyone will be like yeah it's not as good as the first one why'd you even make this right like I mean, that's why I personally fall toward, I prefer sequels in most cases, because at least then you can extend the world and push stuff. But anyway, mm-hmm. so it doesn't surprise me because they usually don't, they aren't mining for stuff that didn't work. They're mining for stuff that did work. And then they make stuff that doesn't work. They'll make remakes that like are just shitty or bland. Yeah. So I I, I think they should. The name I had, I, I I agree Jordan Peele could definitely work for it, but the name I had, I thought that um, James Gunn would be a solid pick oh. because he's done horror with Slither. He loves genre movies. I think he could handle the like consumer consumerism critique. He could have some fun with that. He would handle the comedy, and he would create characters that we actually gave a fuck about. There'd be funny dialogue. So James Gunn, if you're listening to my podcast somehow, please remake the stuff or Jordan Peele. James Gunn kind of makes sense because now that you like threw him out there, like I kind of realized like the stuff essentially is a trauma movie without the sex. So like this would definitely be in his wheelhouse. He has that kind of old school beamy schlock cred. And, but he's also like grown as a filmmaker and gotten a lot like, better and more polished and stuff so like yeah like that would be a really good that that could that could turn out really really well they have to keep the practical effects though uh i don't want to cgi stuff it's just not gonna look good or even if it looked good it's not gonna it's not gonna work as well it's it never i want i want a fucking blob monster that's consuming people (laughs) i don't want some cartoon that's like rolling over top of an actor 
Bring back the fishbone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, because as we're talking about remakes, the only fear I have is like what happened with the uh, the thing remake or prequel or whatever yeah. they made. Where they yeah. even they even spent the money. They brought practical effects people in to do practical effects, and then the studio said, yeah. "Actually, no," and they basically just CGI'd over all the practical yep. effects, and it's just like, which is so nuts. Like, it's also crazy <laughs> that they never released that as an alternate version because if you had the movie right. done and then you just put cgi over top of it like then it's you you have it ready i would think i mean it's possible that maybe there were like things that they altered as they went along with the cgi i don't know but mm. uh anything else on the a stuff remake emily since you're probably the biggest fan of i us. don't know like the only thing that like a style of movie maybe or like the team that did um cabin in the woods yeah kind of oh, were very successful yeah we're very successful at making like yeah it's a good horror movie but it's also very funny i think that has to do with joss whedon's you know writing and some of the script there but that's another kind of i guess team of people who yeah did something really well kind of finding the line between satire and horror and, and meshing it pretty well together. The other name that popped in my head and I didn't, I hesitated to say him just cause I didn't know if he actually would do something like this. He loves horror, but I almost wonder if he would like see himself as like not beneath him so much, but like more of a, I've got other projects. I don't need to do a remake of the stuff. Uh, but Edgar Wright, I think could have a lot oh. of fun. With oh the yeah. Stuff yeah oh, I love it. Right. But again, I don't know, you know, he, had, he creates his own ideas, you know, he writes a lot of stuff. So I don't know if he would even be interested in coming to something like this, but if he did, he would nail the comedy. He would nail the effects. The camera work would be fantastic. I mean, pretty much all he's, he's an amazing editor or whoever he gets to edit his movies. Mm. So that aspect would be fixed. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be fixed on steroids. <laughs> All right. So wrapping up here, would you recommend the stuff? I'd say if you like, um, like B movies from the eighties, definitely watch it. It's definitely fun to watch and just to kind of see the different train wreck parts of it but also some of the more capable parts of it that you would find in a, a b-movie or a maybe a slightly better than average bad movie yeah i'd recommend it because you know as we said there are a lot of good things in it there's a good foundation um it's just a mess it's not executed well but it the the things that are not executed well are still like I said, to me, the to me, this is an example of the incompetentness being fun. Like I sat there just laughing at like the bad cuts and the bad acting, everything. Which like compare this to like Ghoulies, which we talked about for for Franchise Strikes Back. Like that is not a fun bad movie. Mm -hmm. Like that's just that's just <laughs> bad all the way around. This felt more like something where, you know the stuff that doesn't work doesn't work in a mystery science theater kind of way yeah. where it's it's you can sit down and just kind of like laugh along with it and then you and then you have those bits that are executed really well like the practical effects and some of the commentary and stuff like that so 
it's it's worth it's not something that i think you should necessarily go out of your way to watch but if you know if the idea interests you yeah sit down and check it out because there's enough there to enjoy to not make it a complete waste of time mm-hmm. uh yeah i i kind of fall in a similar camp i think if you are a horror fan this is required viewing not it's not required viewing the way texas chainsaw or halloween and that kind of stuff is but it's required viewing like it does have really solid practical effects at times. It's an interesting idea. It's kind of fun and goofy. It's probably a good drunk watch. I was watching mm. it stone cold sober, but um, you know, it's probably a good uh, laugh at this movie. I, the, the thing that always throws me off though, kind of like I said at the top and in my um, remaking it section is I just feel that it r- could be a really good movie. Like not mm-hmm. one you're laughing at you're laughing with, or just one that's scary as fuck. I think it has the ability to do that. I think the idea is there, but they just don't know how to, you know, Larry Cohen, you know, just doesn't know how to pull it together. So, but I I would say that it's worth watching. But yeah, if you're a big uh, horror fan, especially if you're like an 80s horror fan, I would say check it out for sure. So yeah, at the end of the day, uh, it's it's kind of a fun watch. I would put it on your list, especially maybe around Halloween. Um, oh, and and I will say that it would uh, it pair pretty well with the 1980s movie The Blob. That version of The Blob, I think The Blob is a much better movie than this one. It all it also has great practical effects, but I think they succeeded much more in how they were presenting everything. And there's some comedic stuff in The Blob, but I think it conveys a better sense of fun and uh, a better sense of horror and just the whole package kind of works better together but you could pair this with the blob you could pair this with they live or some of those other consumerism movies that we talked about and it would work pretty well so lastly here we have can i find this and in many of the movies that we look at they are difficult to track down hard to find on streaming services or elsewhere but much like its namesake substance, the stuff can be found everywhere. It is on virtually every streaming service you want. Shutter, YouTube, Amazon Prime, iTunes, Vudu, and lots more. Um, it is also on DVD, and there is a special edition Blu-ray that got released a few years ago. So, you can find the stuff anywhere you want it, readily available tying in with the anti-consumerism message um so uh that is where we fell on the stuff we will be back with a new crew next time and we'll be looking at a different horror movie this one from the 90s we will be looking at the film species so join us then